If you have your Bibles, take them and open to Acts chapter 16. Uh, We'll conclude, well, actually, we'll pause after today our look at the book of Acts, uh, the church on fire, uh, beginning uh, next Sunday. Of course, James will be speaking in the Sunday after Thanksgiving as our first Sunday of Advent. I will make mention to you that Christmas Day is on a Sunday, and our elders have decided that we will not meet as a church that morning. I know that goes against the grain for some, and it's a relief for others. So we can't really make everybody happy. We will have a Christmas Eve gathering from five to six on that Saturday night Christmas Eve. So, but we will not meet Christmas Day, uh, December 25th. Uh, but you know, by the year 325 AD, uh, Christianity had spread across the whole world. Um, in fact, some estimate that as much as half of the Roman Empire in that third century were followers of Jesus. Amazing to consider that. Because it all started with a ragtag group of Galileans and misfits uh, who had no money to speak of, no political clout, uh, no institutional backing, no status as influencers. They had no followers. They had no social media presence. All they had was an unwavering belief that Jesus had raised from the dead. And a strange new power poured into them called the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's all that made them special. An unwavering belief that Jesus had truly risen from the dead and that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit and were called now to go and be his messengers. The key to their explosive growth was that every person that believed also carried the message. Not just the select few, not just the apostles, not just the church leaders, but every single Jesus follower in their everyday lives, living out his love, demonstrating his power, and proclaiming his name. Every believer was on mission. Every one of them was called to spread the gospel And spread it not to just a select few, to the religious elite, but to everyone. To everyone. All types of people. Those who were devout, those who were oppressed, and even those who were skeptical. This morning, I want to look at three such persons in three distinct gospel encounters, all of which are found in one chapter the 16th chapter of Acts, and we'll begin at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Oftentimes, if there was not a synagogue in a town, in a city, in a portion of the empire that was not heavily influenced or had a large Jewish population, then those few Jews that would be in that town would gather on the Sabbath around a river, by a river, for a place of prayer. And most likely that's what's happening here, a place of prayer by the riverside. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was actually in the region of Lydia, and some believe that that may mean that she 
is not named Lydia per se, but she is a Lydian. Regardless, we're going to call her Lydia because that's just easier. So this woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This woman, Lydia, is the first disciple in the city of Philippi. Paul has had a dream. He's wanted to go a certain path. By this time, Barnabas is no longer with him. That's another long story. But he is new with his Silas, his new, new partner, Silas. They are praying about where to go and they desire to go a certain path, but they have a dream because they've been resisted in that in going into certain areas. And he has a dream of a man who is standing and asking them to come to Macedonia and to proclaim the gospel. And so they get uh, on a ship and they go and they find themselves in this respected city of Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And their first convert is this woman named Lydia. She's a worshiper of God, like Cornelius the centurion. She, she's a respecter. She has the fear of the Lord. She practices as a Jew. The verse says here that the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. That speaks to me. I've had moments where I've known it was the Lord opening my heart. Have you? Many of us have. The Lord opened her heart so that she might pay attention, is what the ESV says. Pay attention to what Paul is saying. And that phrase, pay attention, is another way of saying she craved it. As if she was addicted to what was being said and couldn't get enough. Isn't that beautiful? When God opens your heart, your hunger changes. What you hunger and thirst for changes when God opens your heart. She desperately wanted more of what Paul was saying. The Lord had opened it, her heart. She couldn't get enough of what he was saying and she accepted Jesus, Messiah and King and all of her household. That's the first of three gospel encounters in this chapter. Let's look at second, the second one, verse 16. And as we were going to the place of prayer, so apparently they visited that place several times there by the riverside, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What she was proclaiming was not wrong. But the spirit that was driving it was everything wrong. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This girl is the opposite of Lydia. She's not wealthy. She's a slave. She's also demonized, which means she's a slave physically and spiritually. 
She's been exploited. She's been taken advantage of. She has uh, been entrapped, ensnared, and it has messed up her life. And I bet she doesn't tend many prayer meetings. She was following them on the way, but I don't think she went. But she also had a gospel encounter. Just as Lydia had a gospel encounter, so does this lady, this young woman, probably a teenager, a slave and demonized. She has an encounter with the power of God. And I no doubt believe that she was set free that day and became one of the believers of that church. I'm convinced of that. Paul later in his ministry writes to these believers that beginning to assemble here and he says to them how much they mean to him. It's called the book of Philippians. These people meant so much to Paul, including this young girl. You gotta know, and I know you snickered, that I also take solace in the fact that, it, that Paul got annoyed. That may not really bless you, but it blesses me. Because I have a knack for getting annoyed sometimes. I'm not saying it was the most righteous thing for Paul to do, but it was effective. (laughs) Uh, Jesus got angry and drove out the money changers. Paul got annoyed and drove out a demon. Maybe we ought to get more annoyed these days with what we're seeing. Maybe we shouldn't put up with some things that are going on in our families in areas of influence that we have responsibility over. In places that we see the enemy ruling, maybe we ought to get annoyed and put a stop to it because Jesus has given us the power and authority to do so. Amen. Let's look at the third gospel encounter. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, They threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. A Philippian jailer is our third person of interest. Jailers were often highly decorated, retired Roman soldiers. They were no doubt hardened in life uh, and probably very cynical because of all they'd seen. He'd seen it all. (laughs) Couldn't be very impressed with anything. And he probably just didn't care a whole lot. He just did his job. And so he puts Paul and Silas in the dark, dank, and disgusting inner prison. You can just imagine what ends up in the inner prison. And there they are, and he puts them in stocks or probably chains that were suspended from the ceiling, oftentimes they would lay you on your back and put the clamps around your ankles and hang you upside down. And then take a rod and beat the bottoms of your feet. It was torturous. It was agonizing. They'd already been beaten with rods. 
stripped down naked. They'd endured so much. It had to be excruciating. Look what happens. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That ought to put some of us to shame. We have a hard time worshiping if everything's not just perfect. If they don't pick the right songs, if the temperature's too hot, you know, if we don't like the way people are responding or if it's too loud or too soft or I don't feel like it today. Paul and Silas have been beaten within an inch of their life and potentially hanging upside down. They're certainly in stocks and chains and they're praying and singing hymns to God. You know, I think that actually when you're in a crisis and a mode of suffering, you probably are inclined to worship. When you know the Lord, you probably are inclined to feel close to him in that moment, though some people are not. Some people, it drives them away. But Paul and Silas give us an example of what it means to suffer and still give glory and praise to God. It's a model for all of us to live. Verse 26, and suddenly... There was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And that would bring such um, disgrace upon him and quite possibly cause an execution of him. And he's just gonna end his life because it is too much to to face. But Paul, verse 28, cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And when he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The gospel encounter that this man had, this hardened, skeptical jailer, is intriguing to me because he wasn't looking for it. It came looking for him. He was just doing his job, but in the middle of it, he was confronted with a new reality. Paul and Silas start praying and singing and everyone in the jail is listening, including the jailer. Witnessing firsthand their joy in the midst of excruciating pain and suffering. Who does that? And this jailer was about to be the recipient of their extravagant grace. I personally think Paul recognized that God would use their suffering to reach this man. 
I personally believe that because otherwise, why would they stay? <laughs> why would they have remained? Their chains had fallen off. The earthquake had, had shaken the foundations of the prison. Why would they hang around? Paul's just thinking, I think there's more to be done here. What if when we find ourselves in the midst of pain and suffering, our first thought is not, God, you must hate me. Or God, what did I do wrong? Or God, why have you forsaken me? But rather it would be, God, who are you using my story, even my suffering, to reach? So many times we ask God to use us but if he used us like he used Paul and Silas, including the suffering for his purpose to be fulfilled, we figure something went wrong or God is mad at us. When we find ourselves suffering inexplicably, the question we need to ask ourselves is how is God working in this? Because he has a plan and he has a purpose and it may be beyond you, but his purposes will be fulfilled. Why are these three stories in the 16th chapter of Acts? Many had come to faith. Why these three? Why does Luke, the writer of Acts, who is a scribe and assistant to the Apostle Paul, why does he pick these three to put in this chapter? A wealthy religious woman whose heart is opened by the Lord and she craves the very word of God. A young slave girl who is demonized and yet set free so that she too can be a worshiper of God. And a jailer who's hardened by life and skeptical about faith but ends up asking, how can I be saved? Well, I think there's one really good reason why we see these three gospel encounters in this chapter. It's to show us that the gospel is for everyone. Amen. The gospel is for all kinds of people. Every kind of person. For the spiritually inquisitive, the oppressed and abused, and even those who show no interest at all. Lydia was devout and spiritually interested. And Paul certainly engaged her in a spiritual conversation. There are some people out there, even in our day, that fit this profile. Some that you know you have these kinds of spiritual conversations with. Some that might even come here on a Sunday or attend your small group. But our evangelism, if it is limited to that, is cutting off a large population that God's gospel is also for. Our evangelism, even in this secular, postmodern world, cannot stop here. That slave girl probably never shows up at a prayer meeting, probably never comes into the doors of a church, neither does the jailer. Physically, she can't, and he has no interest. British pastor Steve Temis talks about the secularization of Great Britain. Europe, Great Britain, 
or probably a few decades before us when it comes to the the secularization, the post-Christian world and reality of the culture. And Timus talks about this and he quotes a study. By the way, we're seeing those same things here in the United States, right? Yeah. He cites a study where 70% of Brits say they have no intention of ever attending church for any reason. Not for Easter, not for Christmas, not for a wedding, not for a funeral. They never plan to go to a church. So Timothy says that means new styles of worship will not reach them. Fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Great first impressions will not reach them. Churches meeting in cool venues will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched and de-churched people would not turn to the church even if faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of national tragedies. It is not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. Sounds like the early church. Sounds like those ragtag group of Galileans and misfits. Sounds like the 120 on the day of Pentecost that that bust into the streets and then because of persecution were scattered all over the region and eventually to the ends of the earth. Pastor J.D. Greer, who uh, spoke a message about this chapter and who heavily influenced me in preparing for this message today, he says this, what I think we're going to see in the future is a lot of new flashy megachurches fighting over larger pieces of a shrinking pie of bored Christians. But for those of us who want to reach the rest of culture, we need to think about growing the pie. And that means you have to get good at carrying the gospel outside the church. We have three gospel encounters here in this book to show us that the gospel is for every kind of person. And we have the responsibility as Jesus followers, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the responsibility to take the gospel to them. We have that as a mission, all of us. And it's for everyone. The gospel is for all kinds of people. Those who have money and those who have nothing. Those who go to church and those who won't. Those who are in good families and those who are in broken ones. Those who look like they have it all together and those who never seem to catch a break. No matter where you come from or where you are or where you're going to, all of us have the same problem and the same need. We've all missed the mark. We've all messed up God's design. We've all fallen short of his glory. We've all gone our own way. It's called sin. We're all sinners and we need a savior. And that message is what people need to hear. 
I realize that there are people turned off and not tuned in, but we must be creative under the power of the Holy Spirit to live in such a loving way and to demonstrate his power so gloriously that when the opening comes, we can speak his word. And maybe, just maybe, God will open their heart and they would pay attention to our words. The only way our sin can be dealt with is by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus that he made on the cross. And the only way we can be saved is by receiving Jesus's free gift of salvation and following him. I don't know all that you've done or how far you've fallen if you're sitting here or listening to me today. But I do know with certainty that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The word promises it. If you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him, your life will have meaning and you will inherit along with all of his children the kingdom of God. It's what he promised There is no difference in Jew or Greek, black or white, rich or poor, young or old, male or female, religious or irreligious. The same Lord over all is rich in mercy. And all who call upon him, all who call upon his name will be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So for those of us sitting here today in our spiritual family who know the Lord, who are his followers, we have a mission before us. If we're waiting for them to come to us, we may wait too long. God didn't have us create a place for them to come here. He sent us to go out there. We have a mission It's the same mission that Jesus inaugurated. It's the same mission the early church followed out. It is the same mission that we are giving ourselves to in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our workplaces and in Lebanon and Nigeria and in Kenya and in Atlanta and in San Antonio. It is the same mission that we are giving ourselves to. Yes, we'll have to have new methods and yes, we'll have to be creative, but if we will live in love and demonstrate his power, we'll get a chance to proclaim his word. We will, just keep at it. And for those of us sitting here today who have not surrendered to Jesus, you've not taken these words, maybe your heart's not been opened up. Maybe the Lord is doing it right now. There's no better day than today. Is the Lord opening your heart? Are you feeling a strong urge? Are you hungering more for abundant life, the words of life to proceed out of the mouth of God? The Holy Spirit is saying, come. And his bride, the people of God, say, come. Come and receive. Come and believe. 
Come and see his salvation revealed in your life. Amen. My wife's going to come and we're going to pray for you in just a moment. While she's coming, I'd like to ask the worship team to come on up to the front. God is really faithful when he talks to us. (laughs) And he's willing to repeat himself. He says the same thing from different directions, um, using different words, using different moments. um, Because he wants us to hear and benefit from what he's saying. Today during worship, we were singing about amazing things about God, that he's faithful, that he's living, that he's our hope. And I felt like God said to me, then why are you investing yourself looking for validation, understanding, sympathy, Acceptance, loyalty, mercy from any other source. My faithfulness is all that is needed to confirm you, to give you identity, to equip, to commission. Grace told us last week or the week before, eyes up. Stay focused on the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then today, Wade said the same thing, but with different words. Abide in me. The message today happens. (laughs) The mission happens only when we get that order correct. Mm. That's right. If I make God's faithfulness the only thing that matters... The thing that confirms me, validates me. I'm not looking anywhere else out there for those things. Then the Holy Spirit keeps me and equips me and sends me. Then I am a faithful witness, not because I set out to be, but because that's the natural consequence of abiding in him and feeding on his faithfulness. That's right. And John... um, 15, I think it is 15. Um, he's, He's talking about abiding in him. And he says, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce, when you mature. Wow. And so I feel very activated today to pray for me and for us that we would look to him and only him. And by doing that, we would be empowered as his witnesses to live the truth of the gospel. It isn't how well we do it. As you were saying, it's not about the programs or doing church better. (laughs) It's about being his and acting like we believe that he is God. That's right. And he rewards those who diligently seek after him. Yes. Pray for so us. here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm just warning you. I think God is here. I believe God is here to do a work in us. Amen. To do a work that Donna is sharing 
what God has been speaking. If your heart is being opened up for anything, maybe to meet him for the very first time, or maybe it is to engage him in a way that you never have, or to see him beyond just being faithful into a place where you're productive. Whatever God is doing and saying, I really believe the Lord wants to touch and minister to you today. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And as we're singing, there will be leaders here at the front. If God is speaking to you, I'm challenging and encouraging you. Don't miss out on this chance to have God take that opening that he's created in your heart and to put a new life there and to put new words there. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithful speaking to us. Both where we are and what you're calling us up to all at the same time. Yes. Only you are big enough to be with us and still beyond us. We want to act in faith on what we're hearing you say. So, Father, I pray for courage for each heart to just agree with you about yes. what you're touching right now. Yes, Lord. Whether it's something to choose and pick up or something to let, lay down and let go of, that we would be encouraged by the power of your love that we can do either one of those things that you ask. Yes, Father, I thank you that our faith rises to meet you in this place. That when we're together in whatever stage of our journey with you we are, that just being elbow to elbow strengthens us in the inner place. Strengthens us to lay hold of life and put aside anything that is less than the life you've died for us to have. Yes, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will make us effective. That we will want to be on mission with you. That we will want to be witnesses of your perfection and not anything that draws attention to ourselves or our methods or our plans. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here today that has had a resistance to you, but you're opening their hearts. They're sensing something different. Maybe it's to meet you, to commit their ways to you, to call out to you and ask that you would save and be their Lord. Maybe it's for those that are just stagnant or in need of an infilling of the spirit that gives vision and perspective and even power for the place that you planted them in their workplace, in their neighborhood, with their family, with their children, with their parents, with their neighbors. Lord, may we respond to you as your spirit works in us, I pray. And may we see the move of the spirit propel us into greater obedience. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Let's stand together.